Hello everyone, I'd like to welcome you to the Redemption 10P podcast where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus and uh, my name is Juan Williams and I'm joined today by ministry intern AC. What's up? AC, man. AC's been like the Iron Man on this, man. People have come and gone, but he has uh, stuck it out with us. So we're very grateful for him and all his insight and, um, you know, just his, his knowledge as we go through, um, you know, the, the True Story Project. Um, so we're moving right along here, um, getting into the book of Colossians, right? One of the epistles. And we'll get into what epistle means. I know we've talked about it in previous podcasts, but it doesn't hurt maybe if you're a first time listener to just even touch on that again and to, uh, you know, get into what Paul is uh, was telling the church back then in Colossae uh, uh, and also in uh, what it's telling us, what are the implications for us. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, but, you know, we never start off just in a normal you know, A, B, C, we always got to start with something <laughs> interesting <laughs> or something uh, uh, just kind of wild to uh, just to get us thinking about things and to, uh, you know, help us, um, you know, just consider things within a different different mind frame. So, um, Ephorus doesn't get love in the American church today. Uh, most American Christians probably won't even recognize his name, but most uh, scholars believe that he... Uh, not Paul uh, was the one who started the uh, Colossian church. So, you know, within scripture, there are many people or many names which maybe are not as common within our vernacular as believers or maybe they're they're, they're maybe didn't have a huge impact or, or as big as an impact as, let's say, Paul or some of the other people within, um, you know, uh, 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 the scripture. But, um, you know, they regardless, they've played a role in within the true within the true story. Right. So, AC, do you have some of those who are some of your favorite unsung heroes in the Bible? Maybe those were were lesser known or lesser recognized. Yeah, I would say uh, there's a, the Shunammite woman. She don't even have a name. Okay. But Second Kings four, you know, she sees the prophet always coming by, and so she says, "Hey, man, why don't you come over and have something to eat?" And then she tells her husband, "Look, um, this prophet's always coming through, and obviously, you know, uh, was always having issues with the king and being mm-hmm. persecuted and stuff. So she was always like, "Hey, we have this extra room. We should have it." ready for him so whenever he wants to come he can study right. we'll make him food and stuff and I was like that's so awesome man because here's this dude who like Jezebel wants to kill right you know what I mean here's right. this dude who like is on the run sometimes but typically you know just living a hard life trying to live for the Lord and here's this woman who's just so thoughtful is like here I'm gonna open up my home to this guy and let him stay here and we'll fix him some food you know so yeah um, and then she eventually has a son who dies and she's like hey I never asked for nothing why why my son died and then he gets risen from the dead. Right, so right. That's a cool story. Um, I would say there, there's this boy's father, again, no name in Mark 9. Mm-hmm. Um, his son is demon-possessed, and um, Jesus asks the dude's dad, like, what do you want me to do? And he says, well, if you can, heal him. And Jesus says, if I can, I can do anything if you have faith. <laughs> He's like, do you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the guy says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And I just, I think, man, like, if you're a Christian long enough, you get to a place where you love that this dude said that in the right, Bible. Right. So that you can be like, yeah, I feel that, man. Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. And then my favorite unsung hero of all time in the Bible had to be Jail. Hmm. Because here was this woman who, like, uh, the Israelite people were being oppressed 
by uh, I think it was the Midianites. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. if you, but I think it was the Midianites who oppressed them, and they had this huge army led by this dude named Sisera. And so then uh, Barak is the dude who has the army. He gets uh, Deborah convinces him to go fight Sisera. Right. So they do it, and then Sisera gets away from the battle. He runs off to this dude. I think his name's Homer. I'm not 100 sure, but he gets to this dude's tent. We're like, oh, this dude's cool with us. And Jail, his wife is there, and she's yeah. like, "Hey, come on in. Yeah, and then Let the- me give you some milk. Give the dude some milk. He goes to sleep. Then she gets a tent peg and a hammer and just and drives boop, it right through, through his, his head. Yeah, yeah, right man. through his temple. Yeah, yeah, that was bro. That was a g'd up move. Yeah, that was, that was pretty g. I'm not gonna lie. Like yeah, I remember man. when we were going through the book of uh, Judges, and you know, a lot of times you read this stuff, and maybe you don't recognize it, but I remember like Ricardo, uh, you know, a pastor, uh, you know. Highlighted that, and it was like eye opening to me. I'm like, wow, that's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, she's probably the hardest person in the whole Bible. <laughs> Seriously, yeah, yeah. She's straight out of, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, I think one of my favorite unsung heroes, just um, to chime in, um, was, you know, the blind man healed in John 9. I love, um, you know, it's it, that's a pretty popular story, but like, he doesn't have a specific name, but like, just. I, I love the the, the, the the section where he's explaining to the Pharisees or the High Council, like, yeah. what happened and just his whole tone, like, it's easy to even read it in, like, a sarcastic yes. tone. And it's, I think it's so great. And it's like, you could just see them as he's talking, just getting angry yeah. and angry and angry. Like, you already asked me this. Why are you asking me? You want to become one of his disciples? <laughs> Like you just gotta love that. That tone is so great. Like yeah, it's, it's, especially like with yeah. his parents being so exactly. scared, they're like, "Well, ask him. He's old enough, and he just doesn't care." <laughs> Why are you asking me again? You want to be one of his disciples? And they were like, "What? You were born in sin. You trying to teach us something?" <laughs> like you can definitely read that and like put the voices like and like just the the attitude behind it. So I think that's just really cool. And it was, it was cool as we've um, been going through those projects to just read those things again. So um, we're moving right along. Like I said, in the True Story Project, we're in the epistles. We've gone through a couple, a number of them so far. Um, but, um, you know, we, we, we always want to go back and just kind of talk about what are the epistles? How do they fit into the true story? Um, and I've asked you that a million times already, AC, but yeah. would you mind just maybe... Uh, uh, explaining it to maybe somebody who's just their first time hearing about the epistles. What are they? Sure, absolutely. And then also too, um, for people who have heard it, you know, it's it's the reason why we always do this question at the beginning mm-hmm. is because one of the things that you know Professor Goheen has impressed upon us is always, always, always before you read any passages in the Bible, ask where in the true story does exactly. This fit? And yeah. in the epistles, it's really easy to forget that in the Old Testament, you're like. I don't know what's going on here. Explain this to me. Oh, it fits in the story. Now I understand. But the epistles, they can seem kind of common sense and straightforward. And so you kind of just read them and go directly to personal application. And then you get into some weird stuff. So where does this fit in the story? Um, Again, the story is God created everything. It was all good. The fall happened. It was all bad. And so then (laughs) he starts on a mission to, to save the world. And he calls the people of Israel to himself, gives them the law of the land everything they need to reflect his image and who he is to spread the knowledge of God to the surrounding nations um, even have the temples built and Solomon prays that purpose that everyone would turn towards the temple mm. any person who doesn't even know God and they would pray and that God would hear them and answer their prayers so they would know who the true God of the world is 
Um, that was the whole purpose and intent of Israel. They failed miserably in that. Mm-hmm. But God had already seen that. God had already promised that he himself would come. And he did. In the person of Christ, God, Israel's God came back in the flesh uh, to restore Israel. But not just to restore Israel, but to restore the entire world. And he does that through his life, death, and resurrection. And as he does that, he launches the kingdom and forms a new regathered community Mm. that he's going to send out into the world. Whereas Israel was in a specific geographical location and the world was to come to them to know God, now the church, we go out into the world to make God known in every culture. And the epistles are written into a specific culture and time and history to specific situations addressing the questions Okay, but what about this? Mm. Or problems like, you know, uh, a lot of churches had problems and they had situations. That's what the epistles do. And it's important to remember the word that the scholars use that I use all the time is that they're occasional. Not in the sense that they're written every now and then, but in the sense that they address specific occasions, specific sets of circumstances. And this epistle is no different. Paul is writing it to address a specific situation. So what is that specific uh, situation that uh, Paul is writing to uh, in Colossians? Yeah, so in in uh, Colossae, this was a church that was founded not by Paul, but by Epaphras, one of his friends, co-workers. Uh, we believe that Epaphras was visiting Paul in prison, and he brought him news of the church. He was telling him like about this church that he started and how it was going. And it was mostly good. Like when you read Colossians, Paul is showering all kinds of praise on them. So it's it's mostly to like affirm them. But then also, I think Epaphras probably told Paul about a couple of cultural temptations the church is dealing with. So Paul wants to address those temptations. Got it. So how would you uh, summarize the general? What is Colossians saying? Yeah, so you can look at it. I mean, scholars divide it different ways. I'll say in a very general sense, in the first half of the letter... Paul is reaffirming the truth of the gospel they've received. The latter half is spent exposing errors that might trip them up. So Mm. in the first half, Paul thanks God for Epaphras' praise report of Colossae. That thanksgiving flows into a very beautiful poem about Jesus as the Messiah. And in that poem, like Paul, uh, we, we look at that and we think Paul's doing systematic theology. Mm. He's doing Christology. Uh, and no, Paul is using Christology to address the situation. Right. And so what he does in this poem, he actually emphasizes the aspects of Christ that would combat the cultural idolatries the church is struggling with. Then he talks about his own suffering, how it magnifies Christ because he's sharing in Christ's sufferings. Right. The second half of the letter, then he starts pointing out the two cultural influences that they have to resist. And on the one hand is mystical polytheism, hmm. which is what the Gentiles, the religion they grew up in, they worshipped a lot of different gods. Right. So the temptation was for Christ to not be as preeminent as he's supposed to be. and He's just one God among many, or you still have to kind of fear these gods and these types of things. The other influence, and this would be for the Jewish believers, would be Jewish legalism. They were raised, and it was like drilled into their minds as kids, the centrality of the Torah. Now, as Christians, they have to replace that with the centrality of Christ. Hmm. But they struggled with everything has to revolve around the Torah, the Torah. And so they battled with 
this idea that everyone has to keep the law, everyone has to be circumcised, keep a kosher diet, observe religious holidays. So on the one hand, you have a very like irreligious in a sense, like very polytheistic temptation um, to, to, to get pressed into the culture that way. Or for other Christians, the Jewish Christians, they, their cultural idolatry was like uh, making a law the idol. Um, and so Paul is addressing both of those and he's saying how Christ has freed them from any fear of spiritual powers hmm. and of any obligation of the law. And he fulfilled the law, which was good, but it lacked the power to change the heart. So Paul closes the letter talking about how the death and resurrection of Christ should transform the Colossians individually and as a community because Christ, they've been united with Christ. So they've united with his death. So the old humanity, which is characterized by sin, death, and destruction, that has been phased out by the cross and his resurrection has phased in the new humanity. And so then Paul even starts describing how the Roman household itself would be transformed uh, by this gospel. Yeah, I think sometimes we lose that or we lose the the weight of what Paul is talking about. It's like, yeah, why? Of course, Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus, mm -hmm. why would you believe in all this? But, you know, if you were raised in... Uh, uh, just believing one thing and it's been so central to everything of who you are and your identity, especially when we talk about the Jews and the Torah. Mm -hmm. It's so central in the law. It's so central to who they were. And, um, you know, Paul trying to, you know, uh, help them to understand how, you know, Christ fulfills that. Like, it's not, it's not as easy. You know, right. was, this is a very difficult thing. And it was a, a, a huge point of just uh, uh, tension. Yeah. For the Jews. So I, I think it, I just wanted to highlight that because I think sometimes we have the tendency in our, you know, present day understanding to just glance over that. But I, you know. And you can only imagine, yeah. like, how that played off each other. Because right. On the one hand, the Jewish people are very legalistic and, like, you have to eat a certain way and, like, get circumcised and observe all these holidays yeah. and be Jewish. On the other hand, the Gentile Christians are struggling with, like, sexual morality exactly. and, like, very loose living. And I think that would just reinforce the prejudices on both sides. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 so true. Um, just just something to consider, you know, as we're reading this. Remember in the context and you know what was going on at the time. So, uh, one point, uh, you know, in the epistles, this this next thing we're about to talk about, it comes up a number of times, right? Um, it's just, and uh, in my opinion, it's. A misreading, mm -hmm. right? A misinterpretation of, um, you know, it's not what the, or it's not talking about how we understand in this context. I'm talking about slavery, mm -hmm. right? Um, in Colossians, there's a passage uh, that talks about Roman household that tells slaves to submit to their masters. And, um, you know, being an African-American and just speaking with other African-Americans who may be uh, non-believers who may have taken up issues with the faith, they point to passages like this and say, yeah. look, man, like this was a tool of oppression. Right. You know, this is something, you know, your belief was just something that was implanted in you within by, uh, you know, your slave masters of old to keep control. And they point to passages just like this um, that they say um, shows that. So how would how can we respond to that type of criticism? Yeah, I mean the first thing is to acknowledge the reality that these passages have been used to oppress right. people. They have. Like yeah, it's two different things. You yeah. know, it's like what is the Bible saying? Right. And then how are people using it? Exactly. You know, and so it's two different things. It's not the same thing, but but yeah, you have to number one acknowledge and say yes, this has been used right. to do very very, very unspeakable, yeah. brutal things to people. 
um, and, and, and to like attach the name of Jesus to them. Exactly. So you absolutely have to acknowledge that. Now, as far as what the Bible is saying, I would say it's not saying um, the way that people have been using right, it. Right, right. And I, I would say there's two things. This is why it's important to, number one, to know the overarching narrative of the entire Bible. Mm. We call this thing what the True Story Project, and we've been we start the podcast with how does this fit into the True Story? Yeah. How does that fit into the True Story? Yeah. And and why do we do that? Because above all things, the Bible is first and foremost a story. Right. It's not a list of promises and rules. People read it that way and they get tripped up. There are promises in it. There are rules in it. There are lots of different types of genres in it. But overall, it is telling a story. And so you have to understand everything in the context of the story. So right. if you look at the story again, everything was good when God created it. He intended it to be good. So there's no like guile or maliciousness in God's intent for the way he structures things. The fall happened. And as we saw with the, 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 the final incident or event described in Genesis 11, to show the totality of the fall as the Tower of Babel and the division that took place to show that human society had been completely corrupt. And you see that in those Genesis 4 through 11 chapters. You see the first person to have uh, uh, multiple wives. You have the first person right. to do sort of like a hit him up ether type diss track in the beginning and just threaten anybody who would come after him, That's right. you know, with vengeance. You know what I mean? So you have a lot of broken things that take place that are a result of human sin. And then the rest of the Bible is God trying to reconcile all things to himself. But what God does is he calls people who live in a particular culture and mm. history and he meets them where they're at. Mm. And then he tries to reconcile them that way. And so this brings me to my second point is that we also in this True Story Project have given you guys a tool called Squid. Right. And there's a reason that the you comes before do. The U is so important in Squid, and the U is understood, and we always ask, how would the original audience have understood this? And so we have to we have to understand, like, okay, how would a Roman household in Paul's day, in Colossae, how would they have understood this passage? Um, and we have to always do that, not just do this when we come to difficult passages, mm. but always ask, how does the original audience understand this? And so... Um, most people say their biggest issue with reading the Bible is that it's written in a different culture and time, and that's what trips them up. I would say yes, and I would also add what trips us up is that we bring our own culture. Right, And right. in this case especially, when we see the word slave, we automatically think of the American, American yeah, history of slavery. slavery right. The American yeah. institution and how brutal and how wicked and depraved that institution was. And we automatically read our cultural experience of right. slavery into this passage. Their experience of slavery was different. Completely different. Completely different. Yeah. But I would say, because some people would say, yeah, but it was still slavery and it was still wrong. And it was still, they, they still used it in, in, in wrong ways. And I would say, yes. And this is why Paul says what he says. Because Paul gives commandments to a, a typical Roman household, which in a Roman household, you would have a, a, a father figure, a patriarch with all the power. Women and children are not valuable. They're expendable. And then you have slaves that are below them. Paul addresses this. this uh, just think of, a, of, of, of a, a typical house. And you think of the man, the wife, the kids, the slaves. Okay. Think of this household in Roman times. Paul tells them, wives submit to the husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. 
radical and revolutionary in the Roman time where women were inferior and not valuable. Right, right. He says, you know, children obey your parents, which, okay, that kind of fits with Roman culture. But then he says, you know, uh, parents don't exasperate your children. He says, slaves obey your masters. But then he says, masters, do what is right and fair for your slaves. Mm. Now, if everyone in this community, in this family, did their end of living out the gospel in their role, you would never, never, never have the American institution of slavery. If you had a master, a quote unquote, put it in quotes, a master, you had a, a Roman patriarch, a father of the home who was in charge of everyone, even had power of life and death over people. If he reads this and takes this to heart and he reads the other epistles and says that this is the Lord, the, any slave is actually the Lord's freedman and, and I am accountable to God on how I treat this person. Think about that. You're actually, it's not going to be a slave-master relationship. It's going to eventually become an employee-employer relationship. Right, and right. you're going to love this person and treat them with dignity and value and respect. And it would never look anything close. Like what Paul has in mind when he writes this, if people obeyed it, it would actually destroy the institution of slavery as it existed in the Roman world. If it had been applied the way it should have been in our time when we had slavery, it would have destroyed right. the institution of slavery. In fact, Christians who understood what the Bible was actually saying and what Paul was meaning saw how slavery was being actually practiced. Exactly. And they were like, we that have to stop this. That was my point. Yeah, that and was they my became point. abolitionists. Exactly. That was my point that the same, uh, uh, you know, you before you... One can demonize, you know, or tries to demonize the entirety of Scripture because of passages like this. At the same time, there are abolitionists who are using Scripture to say, this is wrong. Yes. You know, there is no way that, you know, uh, God who is, and people who are created in God's image can be treated like this. Yes. Yes. And, and that's what Paul's trying to do. Yeah. Is he saying that Jesus is Lord? And that's the whole thing with Colossians is that Christ is preeminent over everything. That's where right. he starts with theology. He doesn't open the epistle with slaves obey your masters. Like that's his ultimate <laughs> agenda somehow. No, really. You know what I mean? Like he doesn't start with that. He starts with, hey, Christ is preeminent over everything. Right. And, and redemption, we, the phrase that we use all the time in the office is bringing everything under the lordship of Christ. Right. And right. so even the family, as the, it existed, this is the literal family structure that existed at that time where there were slaves. He's addressing it and saying, this is what it looks like for every member of the household to live in the lordship of Christ. And I want to just emphasize that if everyone submitted to the lordship of Christ, everything that is wrong with slavery would not occur. Yeah. It would not occur. Exactly. You would actually have equality. Right. You would have it. Wouldn't be a slave. You it, it would, after a while. You couldn't even call that. You couldn't even use those terms. It exactly. would eradicate it, which is what it did yeah. when people it grabbed hold of this passage in their hearts. In American times, became abolitionists and said, "Like, exactly. no, we got to get rid of this." Exactly. Exactly. I love that we were able to just tackle that and go through, um, you know, that tough portion of scripture, yeah. you know, and and kind of really flesh it out. Yeah, sensitive, and just really flesh it out and help us to better understand um and like it points back we need to know the story we need to know the story we need to know the author um so what are some helpful strategies for colossians bring us through those so as with all epistles um before you get caught up on specific verses and details which is what our you know it's a blessing and a curse to have the bible today exists in a form of chapter and verse format right the blessing of it is easy to find stuff and, and to reference it the curse is that we read it as like little chunks mm. and we we isolate verses out of context so with the epistles with these types of epistles 
Paul is making an argument. And so what you want to do is understand the general thrust of his argument and then trace it paragraph by paragraph mm. and ask, okay, what's the main idea of this paragraph? Why is he saying this? Okay, and this next paragraph, how is he building on that? What does this mean? So then you trace the general outline of his argument and then everything else makes more sense. Um, also, keep in mind, there's a lot of scholarly debate on the actual specific false teachings Paul was writing against. It's very common people say that Paul is battling Gnosticism, but then when you study the history of Gnosticism, scholars argue like, oh, it wasn't developed by then. I don't know. I haven't given my life to studying Gnostic <laughs> history. But I will say what other scholars have said is that we all disagree on the specific errors that Paul is talking about. But so when you're trying to reconstruct the original situation and do the you part and understood, the best thing to do with all epistles, especially with Colossians, is when you read it through all once, write down every time Paul mentions himself, the audience, or a problem. Hmm. And if you do that, then you have a list of things and you can kind of recreate the situation. And that's what I've kind of done for you in the beginning is there seems to be some type of uh, Gentile cultural idolatry that's pervasive, mystical polytheism probably, maybe early form of Gnosticism, that's all interrelated. And then also the Jewish Christians were struggling with legalism uh, and things like that. So in, in you, you can recreate that yourself by just reading through carefully and before you get bogged down to the details, just jot down every time Paul mentions himself, the audience, or the issues. Um, and you could just take us on into implications as well uh, from Colossians. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, note that Paul emphasizes the supremacy of Christ over everything. So every section of the letter, n note how Paul ties it back to Christ being supreme over everything. Right. Another the cool thing to do for those of you guys who are like, want extra homework, extra credit, <laughs> is after you read Colossians, go read Philemon. Because Philemon is a letter where Paul has a runaway slave named Onesimus right. who ran away, became a Christian, worked alongside of Paul. Paul is now sending Onesimus back, back. to Philemon yeah. and saying, basically, free him from his slavery, accept him as a brother, forgive him for running away and being a runaway slave. Right. Like, scratch all of that in the name of Christ, accept him as a brother. He's been very valuable to me. So when you read Colossians... Read Philemon and then read Colossians and imagine that you're Onesimus carrying this letter. You're going back to a situation that you ran away from and then you experience deliverance. Now you're going back and you're hoping this letter gives you ultimate freedom back home too. And then imagine yourself as being one of the church members in Colossae. You probably know Onesimus right. as the runaway slave. Maybe even Philemon talked bad about him. Yeah. Like, man, this dude ran away, blah, blah, blah. And now here he comes with the letter from the Apostle Paul right. saying this dude is valuable and he's been great for ministry, like love him as a brother. Um, so, you know, when you start reading the epistles in that light with yeah, that personal yeah. touch, it really brings it to life yeah. too. Um, so implications, I would say, we talked about it, Lordship of Christ, you know, look at your own family because we don't live in a Roman household with patriarchs and <laughs> slaves and things like that. We don't. We live in a different type of family. That's unit. right. That's right. So in your family, what does it look like when each member is submitted to Christ? Hmm. You know, um, I've seen, sadly, um, in the past, not in redemption, so I'm not putting anybody on a blast, but like, no, but just being real in other churches in the past, I've seen like husbands beat up their wives with yeah. verses like submit yeah, and get as a license to do whatever they want. And it's like, no, no, the whole context of this epistle and the context of that commandment is 
you, everyone in the family, be submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, there's no, you know, an, another movement, like there's a feminist movement that takes a lot of these uh, uh, passages and says, look, like, you know, this gives free reign for men to just dominate over women. Right. That's not what's happening here. Like, Paul's telling you, love your wife like Christ loved the church. Like, how does Christ love us? Yes. I would say in the relationship between me and Christ, Christ carries the load. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. He's very gracious and compassionate. And so, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, if you look at submit, wives submit to your husbands, that isolated by itself and historically the way it's been used and exactly. still used today, it's very wrong. But when you think of it in the context of the whole family being submitted to Christ, you, would, you wouldn't have any injustice. Right. You wouldn't right. have any oppression. You wouldn't have any abuse, any exactly. adultery, any exactly. of those things. Um, emotional or otherwise or manipulation if everyone is submitted to Christ and so ask yourself don't worry about the other person in the family whether you're the husband the wife the 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 son the father the the daughter the sister the brother don't worry about what they're doing what does it look like for you to contribute to a healthy family being submitted to Christ Um, and then also uh, just going through these quickly motive motivations yeah Tim, Quell, Tim Keller, he always has this quote, and I always butcher it, but basically he says true repentance is not just repenting from our wickedness, but repenting from our righteousness. Mm. And what he means by that is that we tend to think of sin as only bad things that we do, but sin is also doing the right things for the wrong reasons. Right, and right. so in Colossians, Paul hits on those things and, and people using rules and regulations as like this absolute litmus test for Christianity and you, you have to be uh, you have to keep the law the Torah to be a true Christian but actually and I like this quote um, religious rules and regulations count for nothing ethical life that bears God's image counts for everything mm. so even in your endeavors to do right things like prayer community Bible uh, living your work for the Lord all these th- things we're supposed to do Ask yourself, what is my motivation for doing this? Am I like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son, where really I'm just like being obedient to get my dad's exactly, stuff? Exactly. Yeah. You know, or yeah. like I want God's blessings, so when I don't get God's blessings, I'm mad, I'm angry, and right. I look down right. on other people who don't keep the laws. Um, no, rather, like how can I bear God's image? And Paul hits heavy on that, hmm. that we are united with Christ and we're to bear his image as part of the new humanity. And that's what my final implication that I would bring out of Colossians for you guys is that. Paul emphasizes, since Christ is preeminent over all things, and because we're united with him in his death and resurrection, the old humanity has phased out, right. the new humanity has phased in. Phased so, mm-hmm. look at your life and ask, where do I see the old humanity? You know, And Paul, he, he lists distorted sexuality, destructive speech, um, sordid, selfish desires, and the new humanity is characterized by kindness, forgiveness, and other-centered actions of love. So what I would, I would say to do is to do an imagination exercise. Take an aspect of culture, whether it be family, your job, um, your RC, and then reimagine it in the light of the coming kingdom. Mm. What will it look like when the kingdom is here in its fullness and the people who live in the kingdom, the old part of them has completely phased away and the new part has completely phased in. What would it look like at your job? What would it look like in your family? What would it look like in our communities? In fact, Warren, You've done this already. You actually have a really dope verse reflecting on this, man. Can you share that with us? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's cue that up. Dance with us. Yeah. Imagine that Aleppo was vacation cool, and all them prison buildings were vocation schools. 
Imagine that we sip the finest water that exists And it ain't from Poland Spring, not it's more like Poland Flint Imagine politicians with the different views All coming together every night, the news Reports on the beauty of creation, not the mess Get called some IRS just to eat to higher bless The pain from autism all replaced by more wisdom The lame hit the dance floor, moving on rhythm And no stores closed, no we're cutting more ribbons And all them strip clubs become museums just for women No more other spending, consuming that is endless No Santa Claus, Jesus that you follow for the presence I follow in his presence, the future and the present I know we're here now, but we still think of heaven, man Can you see it now? Can you see it now? Can you see it? Yeah, so that song was called um, Imagine, or actually it was called Restoration Part 2 because we were kind of, my group, uh, group and I, Artificial Christian, we were attempting to uh, kind of do what you said, you know, reimagine a lot of the brokenness and pain in our world um, in light of what, what it would look like in our the fully consummated kingdom. Right. And so, you know, uh, I really have to thank, you know, Jim Mullins at Redemption for a lot of these uh, examples and imagery and just constantly challenging us to, uh, you know, not only just point out the brokenness, right, not only point out what's wrong with the world, but um, looking at the creational good of it and like reimagining it um, in light of the gospel. So, um, you know, I think that's a, a good example, or I hope I hope that'll be a good example for like what AC is trying to um, you know challenge us to think, and what Paul is doing in Colossians. Um, you know, the old things are passing away, the new things are coming. So, you know, a strip club, <laughs> which is you know uh, uh, very dishonoring to women in a lot of ways, um, yeah. obviously, and just dishonoring to humanity. You know, um, uh, total objectification of, of a human being. You know, re- reimagine as a museum, right? Highlighting we celebrate female yeah, accomplishments. Yeah, we greatness. highlight the accomplishments and greatness of women. So, um, you know, it may seem like a little, like, ah, that's kind of weird or uh, out there. But no, like, you know, things, you know, all was created good. And because of the fall, now they're tainted. It's broken. So these things are, you know, will be present within the new earth, but completely void of their, uh, you know, their brokenness. So yeah. it that you know doing those sort of exercises really challenge us and uh, uh um you know force us to 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 like i said not just point out the bad but think of like how can we be those that foretaste that tool of restoration in the midst of the brokenness yeah and it's so important because it sounds yeah. it sounds like you listen to warren's track you're yeah. like man that's really dope and then you, you hear what we're talking about imagination exercise you're like oh yeah cool i get it. the kingdom's gonna be better but right. no actually take the time to do that and right. imagine let's take the strip club one for example yeah, yeah. imagine imagine what a strip club would look like if it wasn't actually a strip club but it was a place that celebrated women accomplishments and, and, and female greatness and things like that and you you sit there and you picture it in your mind you imagine the building yeah. what it looks yeah. like when you walk uh, in. Yeah. yeah you know now are you going to walk out of your house and all of a sudden strip clubs are going to be gone no but but you might just treat women better. Exactly. You know, you exactly. might just, you're fighting against exactly. what the culture is trying to force you to exactly. think and feel. And a lot of times, I'm going to be honest with y'all, and I'm guilty of this too, we let TV and movies and music do all the imagination for us. Yeah, that's and true. And we don't take the time. We think imagination is for kids. Right. But ima- taking time to reflect 
is actually a spiritual discipline. Exactly. And if you do it like how Warren portrayed in the song, like we're talking about, reimagine culture in the light of the coming kingdom, it will change your heart and change the way you live all of life off for Jesus. Yep. And uh, so um, just want to uh, encourage you guys to really just to think in that way and to, um, like I said, not just, and we're bombarded with the brokenness, whether it be the news or your social media figure, we're just bombarded with it and it can make us sort of cynical and um, just disinterested in this world and maybe just think of an otherworldly heaven that exists. Mm -hmm. But heaven is coming down and, um, you know, these things will be fully restored. So until Christ comes, um, you know, let's... uh, continue to be those to that tool of restoration wherever we're placed and whether it be the workplace or you know recognizing those areas of brokenness wherever they're wherever they may present themselves and um reimagining them and even taking the action to uh get involved into helping them you know be restored so um we thank you guys for joining us i want to thank ac as always for uh insight man and uh, just a good conversation and uh we'll see you guys next time thanks for listening